Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with the One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today, and I'm joined as always by by my favorite Celt oh, uh, from the Celtic oh. nations. You understand that puts me above Matthew Reese. Oh wait, you're not Matthew Reese. Right. I'd accept second favorite Celt to be honest. <laughs> you are my favorite Celt, and your name oh. is you're Jason Johnston Yellen. I'm a good Celt. You're, you're a good Celt. I've always said that Thank about you. you. You're a real good Thank Celt. You. I've overheard you say that when we're in Scotland together, that I'm a good Celt. So thank you. I appreciate that. Well, you definitely got one of those words right. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Oh, no, wait. This is our podcast. Hey, listeners. Good to talk to you again. Uh, yeah. We've you, been doing things. We have been doing things. What have we been doing? Have we... What we... Yeah. Well, I, I've been traveling to Connecticut with my family to hang out with you and your family for... Your eldest daughter's bat mitzvah. And that was a tremendous weekend. It was special. Very special. Yeah, she looked great up there. You looked great. You sounded great. Yeah, it was lovely. You you did give a very good speech. And and I'll and I'll tell you how good it was. Wow. My twelve year old okay. has been talking about how good your speech was. Really? Yes, which maybe speaks to your level. Um, <laughs> oh, if a 12-year-old loved it, then it's got to be. It's got to be good. Joshua found his audience. Um, but no, no, it really, it really resonated. It was emotional. It was funny. It was heartfelt. You can't ask for anything more than that. Oh, that makes me feel really good, especially coming from a man who, who you know, I was witness to your speech for your brother Murray's wedding mm -hmm. and it was all of those things it was funny <laughs> it was heartfelt it it ticked all of the boxes and to be put in the category of heartfelt funny and ticking boxes so that makes me happy no, no, you you did great. It got me excited for listening to you give the father the bride speech in you know 20 years oh jesus I hope it's sooner than 20 years. I don't, you know, I, I would like Delma to be married. Really? Oh, I think her generation will be early 30s marriages. You think so? Oh, I do. I really do. Yeah, we were late 20s. Uh, I don't know how long you've been married to Ida. Uh, this October, it will be 15 years. Which, oh, okay. There, which, there you go. Look, you were 30. Well, I was born in December, so I was actually 29. <laughs> See there, okay, you're making my point for me. <laughs> I'm glad we took the time and, to break this down so and, that you could accurately make my point for me. And I was married once before. Uh, we don't talk about that. <laughs> it, was, it was a different time. I'm just speaking my truth, Jason. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, so listen. Yeah. Listen, listen. Yeah. Go, ahead. Um, Go ahead. You You've also been spending some time in New York doing some whiskey things, and then you got to pour some of the new fifth release Single Cast Nation in Massachusetts. I did indeed. Um, actually, I got to pour some fifth release Single Cast Nation before Massachusetts. So Massachusetts, I poured that, I launched it in that state two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. The week prior to that, however, I was with David Cover of Pandaren, who is today's guest. 
And one of the events that we did was for the Drammers Club in New York. And they have, you know, Drammers Club, New York, uh, Beirut, Israel, uh, Warsaw, L.A. You know, they're all over the place. Uh, but anyway, it was a Pandaren slash Single Cast Nation tasting. So I did like three of release number five, which I want to say was our two Lechigs and maybe our Klein Leash, 23-year-old. And then, and then they purchased a while ago a Great Isla Swim bottle and opened it at the event. Oh, terrific. Which was very cool. So it was one of the things... That's always a nice yeah. cheeky wee way to get another taste of it. Right. And and this is <laughs> one of the things that I love about their group. It's, it's you know, there's high dues to get into. You've got membership dues, and I think you've got to pay per tasting. But they're not pocketing, you know, this money. They're going out and buying some really cool bottles. I think one of the first tastings... I had ever attended with them. They had Graham Cool, who uh, mm, listen, yeah, right. <laughs> Listeners may remember our interview with Graham Cool and Ian Allen. That was season two. I want to say season two, episode one or episode two, somewhere around there. We should emphasize while he was still with Glenn Murray. While he was still with Glenn Murray, he's now moved to the Dingle Distillery in in Ireland. Indeed. Um, but they had purchased some like '60s vintage Glen Murray. Wow! So not only did you have the distillery manager at the time <laughs> doing a presentation, they had like oh they had a '61 Glen Murray, so it was peated, and then a '73 Glen Murray, which is my year. Um, but yeah, so so and anyway, this this is not an episode to. Uh, I know, right? I feel, like, I feel like we're about to go to interviewing someone with the Drummers Club. <laughs> uh, but but what was nice is I, I was able to pour Single Cast Nation stuff alongside Pindaren. And um, I'll tell you, just getting to hang out with David Cover at Pindaren that whole week was an absolute blast, spending that full week with him. Um, yes. Well, and you, you must have recorded the interview towards the end of your time together because there's a, a rapport between the two of you that suggests you've covered many miles in a car together, <laughs> shared a drink at the end of a day together, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he, was, he was in tune with your type of humor, which, as we established earlier in the podcast, is really, really high with the 12-year-old demographic. <laughs> uh, well, it's funny. I was just about to say how David is a younger gentleman. Um, <laughs> he is not twelve, but he's not twelve. He's he's twenty six or twenty seven. Um, but yeah, this was this was basically on our final day together. We had Monday through Friday, and so it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. In New York, then on the Wednesday, we drove up to Massachusetts. We did a big tasting with Bikram Singh, who owns Norfolk Wine and Spirits. Yep, great guy. Yep, did a tasting with his group that Wednesday night. And then Thursday night, we did a tasting at his shop. 
Hmm. Um, and then Friday we did a tasting in Connecticut, but it was on the Friday on our way from northern Massachusetts down to Connecticut that we sat down in my car, held microphones in hand uh, while I was driving <laughs> and had a, another conversation in the car a la James Wills, uh, mm-hmm. the second interview that we did with him. And and uh, our time with Ollie Chilton. Oh yes, <laughs> of, I will remember that time. Uh, Pete, folks who don't know these names, please again. And this is season two. Uh, go back and check out the second interview with James Wills. That that one was also done in a car. Super fun, and you get to just you get to hear how knowledgeable and funny James is. And the one with Ollie was fantastic <laughs> and and the, I, I, i'm trying and to th- the fact we live to tell the tale uh, of I'll, it i'll tell you is fantastic what what didn't live to tell the tale was the pigeon that flew into our windshield cracked the brand new windshield <laughs> oh <God. laughs> was such a frightening moment <laughs> oh, okay so i'm glad that the, the car the series of car interviews continues yeah, I think this is good. With David Culver. And and you know, we're we're going to be on the road. We may be doing a bit more. I know I know next week or this coming weekend you and I are headed to um uh <laughs> <laughs> Let me try that again. Wow, kids, this is the dangers uh-huh, of alcohol. Uh-huh. Uh, a few days before this episode airs, you and I will have been in the Netherlands going to Maltstock, and who knows, maybe we'll record some stuff in the car there. And then, and then you were in Scotland toward the end of September, early mm-hmm. October. Yep. Um, you know, obviously having some business meetings, but also conducting some interviews as well. So you never know; the, our listeners may hear a few more car interviews. I'm not sure I'm going to do the driving. In the, I, I, I struggle to record an interview sitting at a desk in an office. Um, you get me driving and asking me to do that, there's a very good chance we will spend an hour and a half talking into dead microphones. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't trust myself to pull that off. But mm-hmm. yeah, I've got, I've got some fun interviews lined up in in Scotland. I'm really excited to get over there and conduct the single cast nation business, but also... Uh, get some some interesting folk down on wax. I, I want to hand the tape. Do we call it tape or should we just call it audio? <laughs> I forget what I because I yelled at you. I yelled at this you is one time. So crisp, so crisp. I, I think I think I yelled at you one time for calling it either tape or audio. I think you called it tape, and I said no, 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 because we're not recording on tape. This is all digital. You've shouted at me for that. You've also shouted at me for calling it footage. Oh, yeah, footage. Fucking footage. So now I just don't talk about it at all. Well, I'm just glad you don't call it, like, acreage. Because that, that wouldn't even make sense. <laughs> no. I only refer to it as cubits. Heck yeah. Ooh. Thank you. Well done. Thank well you. done. Professional move. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to hand it over to the conversation between David and myself. Before I do so, I just want to say that one of the things I enjoyed about this conversation with David is, in a way, I got to discover that his discovery of whiskey, his own 
whiskey journey is not too dissimilar from how we got into whiskey, you know, discovering what, like, like you had said, when, when you were with your friend Petty, you know, you, you, you got, uh, your, your Glenlivet 12 and then all of a sudden the Highland Park came in you're like, oh wait, this one's even better. And then Lafourie came in, you're like, it was nice knowing you all, Lafourie is here. And he did the same. He went from a Bell's blend and then he got into malts and whether it's your story, his story, my story, the listener's story, we all have, I think, very similar whiskey journeys where you can, you can, if you pay attention, you can experience your own palate evolving and your mind expanding as you're learning more and more about these distilleries and how blends are made. And if you get more curious, then you want to know a bit of the history. And, and it could be a rabbit hole. And I think for a lot of for you and I, for sure, for David, for sure, and for a lot of listeners, I, I think everybody experiences their time in the rabbit hole. Yeah, two two quick things. Number one, for those keeping score at home, you'll remember it was Glenn Fiddick 12 and not Glenn Livett 12 that was the first <laughs> single mahal. And number two, I wow. think everybody's got that moment when they met the distillery that really solidified the love of, of whiskey for mm-hmm. them. And, mm-hmm. and for our mm-hmm. bourbon listeners, could have been American bourbon, for our Europeans, <laughs> for our single malt <laughs> listeners, uh, then it, it would be some, you know, Scottish distillery, or maybe it was the English Whiskey Company, or maybe it was Pendaren. But as you rightly say, Joshua, enough from us, let's go over to David. So the best way to hold the mic yeah. uh, is with your hand. Yeah. And then keep it about... Can I hold it with my feet instead? <laughs> <laughs> that would just make me really happy. If you could could do that, let's see if it works. All right, this is David. He's lifted his legs. He's check. check he's actually... Um, I look like I'm about to give birth. Wow. You know, in, in the vein of, of Daniel Day-Lewis's My Left Foot, David has taken off his check. shoe... And he's put the microphone between his big toe and the next toe. And um, I don't want to describe his feet, but ladies and gentlemen, it's a, it's a sight to behold. It's a sight to behold. We've, we've gotten off to a flying start. <laughs> so uh, you were describing the yeah. best way to hold it. How, how far away? A fist. Uh, we call that, yeah, we call that one potato. Do you have that saying? I prefer... No, I, I've come up with a term um, that I prefer. Uh, podcaster's fist. It's one podcaster's fist away f- from the microphone. Uh, it, you know what that reminds me of? I think that's the way the Egyptians way back when measured in cubits. It was based on the current pharaoh's elbow to wrist. That was the length of really? a cubit. Yeah. And so... When the next, when that pharaoh died, and the next pharaoh came to power, the length of the cubit changed. That is fascinating stuff. Mm. Riveting. You're welcome. Just that's, riveting. I think that's the third thing. Um, that third, you know, chunk of information that should you ever be watching Jeopardy. Yeah, that I'll need. And you'll say, pharaoh's forearm. Or what? What is a pharaoh's forearm? And the answer was. Uh, how does one uh, measure the length of a cubit? Now I know. Now you know. 
Now I know. <laughs> I think what I'm going to have to yeah. remember is to turn with the microphone rather than. Oh turn yes, my yes. Head. Okay, yeah. Pretend, pretend I've it strapped. Strapped in. <laughs> pretend your arm is a strap-on <laughs> to your side, <laughs> and that you just kind of um, yeah, you're going to swivel. Okay. Yes. Okay. Good. I, w- I will now attempt to become professional. Okay. Good. So you, you and I, sir. Yeah have been, this is now day five of five, where we are uh, traveling around the Northeast, really New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and we are, um, we're sharing the good word about Pindaren. Slinging whiskey. Slinging whiskey. Every day. Across those five days, I've learned quite a lot from you, in including, um, production, a deeper knowledge, a deeper understanding of, of production and how your Faraday stills work. We've talked a little bit about maturation and, and things like that. And, and we talked about, uh, to some people, the fact that you guys are going to be building a couple of new distilleries and you're also now incorporating the use of Forsyth, you know, uh, traditional copper pot stills into your production, though you've none you've not done anything with that whiskey yet but before we get into all of that yeah which is no offense to you probably the most interesting thing uh, to our listeners tell us about you how did you come to work at Pendaren and was that your was that the spark in your own whiskey life or did the the spark in whiskey come first and the job at Pendaren come second the spark the spark definitely came first um, I kind of became interested in, in whiskey at, uh, at university as, as a young man. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of different versions of these stories, so I'm going to attempt to tell all of them. Oh, right. All um, of them. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> which one is first? Oh, man. Uh, so let me, let me just try and get the order right. What, whatever happened first. I had some time where... Um, I get. I guess just just going to going to the pub. Okay. At university, chilling with friends and stuff. You good? Yeah. Just want to make sure. It's uh, that's fine. <laughs> chilling with friends and stuff. Yeah. I, I wasn't a big fan of beers. Um, I dr- I drink some cider, but also, as as you do, you sort of experiment with different drinks and try different things. Mm-hmm. And found out that I sort of enjoyed the flavor of, of whiskey. Um, so that was the first thing that happened. Uh, another thing that was happened, there a particular whiskey? That oh, it, oh, it was god awful yeah. stuff at this point. It was um, uh, Bell's was one that kept popping up uh, again. Jack Daniels, okay. Jack Daniels Honey was a personal favorite, and yes, that was considered wow. whiskey at the time uh, with wow. plenty of ice. Wow, um, which makes me cringe. Wow, inside, this is a no probably. holds barred this, this episode. Is, right we're, here. We've gone in deep already <laughs> uh, into my past, my horrible past. <laughs> so uh, these are the atrocities that were committed. <laughs> This was also going on at the time when there were certain shows that I was watching, TV shows, okay. that had um, like kind of like spy shows, like James Bondy kind of shows, yeah, that type of thing that portrayed whiskey as like quite a cool, suave thing. Sure. And and I thought, oh, whiskey, that would be quite a cool, suave thing for me to be into, <laughs> and that would make me look quite cool. All right. And and suave. Yeah. So um, that was that was sort of something else that was going on at the time. 
So then my my now wife, then girlfriend, went to Canada for a summer, and I had suddenly had a lot of spare time on my hands. I was I was 20 at that point. Okay. So not even not even legal to drink in the U.S., but in the U.K. that's allowed. Yeah. Um, and I decided that I was going to get into whiskey because I wanted to have a nice bottle of whiskey for my 21st birthday from oh, my birth okay. year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is the story that that I have told you. Yes. yes, um, yes, yes. And uh, I thought that not only did I want to get a really nice bottle of whiskey, but I wanted to be able to appreciate it as well. Mm. So I went out and bought uh, my first bottle of whiskey, which was uh, Singleton of Dufftown 12, okay. um, which I enjoyed, again, from a tumbler with ice. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second bottle I bought was Talisker 10. Um, and then I started learning, that re- really sort of triggered, oh, wow, these are two whiskeys that are both meant to be single malt scotch whiskies, but they're so, so different from each other. Yeah. Um, both really good, but so different. I wanted to learn why they were different. And I also wanted to taste other whiskies and find out if they were different as well. Yeah. Um, and that sort of started, that That was like the, the beginning of the rabbit hole that I sort of stumbled okay. down. Um, then the other thing that, that had also happened at university is that I'd gotten very, very, very drunk. Um, which is never a good thing off off whiskey off bells which I still can't drink to this day because um, of that drunken experience because of that drunken experience that drunken night okay and it uh, it was it was awful absolutely awful I had a three day hangover I think oh Um, worst day of my life was was waking up the next day I think I've never felt so awful ever and um, that started a shift instead of being put off whiskey for life like yeah. many people are at yeah. that point I that started a shift away from lots of rubbish whiskey okay. towards um, better quality whiskeys and, and less of it which was, is a good shift was, was it the thought that if I start drinking this better stuff it won't affect me the same way that Bell's was or and or or was it a combination of I should probably start drinking better stuff and maybe drink it in a better way um, I think, yeah, I think it was that this, the better stuff tasted, it tasted better. It was a better experience. And, <laughs> and getting very, yeah. very drunk yeah. like that is, yeah. can be quite scary as well. Oh, yeah. The yeah. many, many people probably know the fear. We were talking about the fear, the fear. Yes. earlier this week. This was definitely yes. a, bit, a large case of the fear that I re- just remembered absolutely nothing of the evening. Um, and, that, and that can be a very, very scary yeah. thing. So, I, yeah, I didn't want that experience again. And I wanted, and starting to taste better things, mm. uh, yeah, I definitely started realizing, oh, wow, this stuff is so, so much nicer. It's a little bit more money, but it's so much nicer um, that, that, it's, that it's much more worth it. Okay. Okay. Uh, All right. So that's... So that's, that's a deep dive into the history of David Cover. That, that, that is a deep dive into the history of David Cover. And so, so this is now taking us to 21 years of age. You got yourself your bottle yeah. <laughs> uh, of the Singleton, and then you bought yourself the Talisker. Yeah. And that is still 21 years of age? Uh, that, was, that was at 20. That was, oh, that was at 20. That was at 20. And then uh, okay. the, the, the bottle I ended up getting, I did visit Pendarin at this time, visited the distillery. I got myself a bottle of the Sherrywood. Oh, nice. Which okay. I still think is absolutely fantastic, fantastic yeah, whiskey. Yeah, agreed. One of my favorites. 
Um, and I also had a bottle of Glendronic 15, which really impressed me. Uh, and the bottle I ended up getting for my 21st was uh, 93 Glendronic, which is my birth year. Also a fantastic vintage that's Glendronic. That's right, we talked about that, yeah. yeah. Um, 19 years old, and, and it was gorgeous. Um, and just after finishing university then, I went, uh, went to Europe for a few months traveling around and when I came back, decided that I wanted to move back to South Wales where yeah. I'd been studying and um, that I wanted to work in, in the whiskey industry mm-hmm. and specifically at Penderen. Um, okay. I'd visited twice at that point. Um, so I actually rang Penderen up and I said, oh, do you have any jobs going? Uh, wow. they, said, they said no. Uh, <laughs> I was brutally shut down. Uh, no, not really. They, they told me. They told me very nicely. <laughs> Look, I'm really sorry. You know, it was like January. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. n- not a very busy time for for whiskey. It, it, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't one of these things where it was. You know, English need not apply. <laughs> there, was there a sign like that outside the distillery there, door? There, well, there, there may well have been because I rang them up. <laughs> um, so there may well have been a sign uh, that said that. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there wasn't, <laughs> but uh, but they didn't have a job at the time. Okay. I waited uh, a couple of months, and they advertised on Facebook for a part-time position as a tour guide at the distillery. Okay. And by this point, I tasted sixty-something whiskies. I thought I knew wow. something about whiskey. I started taking, making notes, different tasting notes on different whiskies that I tasted wow. as well. Wow. Okay. Um, so you're, I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan of YouTube as well. Um, kind of got into tasting. I would I would buy a bottle of whiskey. I would find reviews on YouTube, and I would yeah. watch the videos at the same time that I was tasting the whiskey and see sure. if I could sort of taste the same things as the people. Yeah, I hear you one hundred percent. Yeah, and it definitely got to a stage when I was watching a Ralphie video, and I love Ralphie. I think he's hilarious. And I was tasting the whiskey along with Ralphie, and he said something, and I very distinctly remember going, "Huh." I actually don't get that note. I get okay. this instead. And that was like a very key moment in my whiskey development wow. where I started sort of developing my own my own palate and sort of yeah. trusting yeah, yeah, yeah. my own palate enough to kind of split off from um, these these people that I kind of revered, yeah. revered and yeah. really respected um, that I kind of started with. Isn't yeah. that an amazing moment? I remember my yeah. moment too. Absolutely. And you, you all of a sudden... So mine, mine necessarily was was not, um, you know, me me drinking a whiskey, me tasting a whiskey. I, I would read tasting notes. Mm-hmm. So my go-to has been and continues to be Serge yeah. uh, Valentin from from Whiskey Fun, also Ruben at Whiskey Notes, and, and and way back when, you know, I actually and listeners know this, I read Jason's tasting notes. He had his own blog at the time. Yeah, and. I mean, I think I would find that I would read someone while drinking and I would identify with some of the notes and maybe not get the other notes. Yeah. But for me, the revelation was understanding how to drink the whiskey. You know, actually knowing mm. where to put the whiskey in your mouth. And it wasn't, you know, when I first started, I would, I would smell the whiskey and I would taste it, but I would kind of... I would hold my, not hold my nose physically, but you'd hold your nose a little bit. Yeah, okay. Because I was afraid of the alcohol burn. Sure. And then I learned, okay, don't do that. And then I learned 
just how to how to slowly swirl the whiskey around the tongue, especially the back of my palate, and that was my eye-opening moment. That is yeah. when that is when I started getting more of the notes from Serge than I had previously. Yeah, okay. And then I started getting like you had said, "Oh, wait a second. I'm actually it wasn't I'm not tasting this, but I'm tasting that in addition to this other stuff that he didn't even mention." Yeah. And that was my sort of yeah. aha moment. So because it was Serge, you, you thought, "Oh, actually I don't taste oolong tea." Uh, I taste this other type of tea. <laughs> yeah, I, I am not getting notes of well-hung pheasant. Are you? <laughs> I do. I do love Serge. I think she, I think he's fantastic. Uh-huh. But I really like it when he mentions like really specific types of tea. Yes. Um, from like really obscure places. I know. And then he gets like really into it and st- <laughs> like starts mentioning like regions and stuff like the the best oolong tea from this the best mountain yeah. range yeah. from this particular area. Oh. Yeah. Wow, the guy knows his tea. Yeah, yes, he does. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so um, you would watch videos, you would drink the whiskey while people are reading tasting notes, and then you would you found your own palate. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Um, and I think uh, another big big thing for me, of course, was was starting to work at, at the distillery at Pendarren. Um, very quickly went from uh, part time to full time yeah. working at, at the the distillery, um, doing tours, working in the shop, mm-hmm. but just kind of being around whiskey 24, not quite 24 seven, but many hours of the day was, yeah. was a huge, huge eye opener, super, super helpful. Um, and I just really threw myself into it, asking anyone and everyone as many, many questions as I possibly could. Sure. Um, bought a couple of books on, uh, whiskey making and, um, really paid attention to the process um, really kind of fed off the knowledge of, of people who w- who'd been there for a long time. He'd been working at the distillery a long time. Mm. Um, so I, I did that for a while, sort of uh, doing, doing the tours and working in the shop and stuff. Okay. Um, I ended up managing the visitor center for a little bit. Um, I was deputy manager or whatever. Okay. Um, then I actually ended up working in the distillery for three months, and that was incredibly incredibly useful um for just my my level of knowledge about things that aren't normally discussed uh, at all like in the whiskey industry about mashing and fermentation um, gravities and uh, distillation process okay uh, everything and and i was working throughout the, the whole process you know working in the doing the mashing fermentation and that was going to be my next question so you yeah. you for three months you got to learn each step of the process yeah. along the way absolutely which which I should say is absolutely nothing um, three months to work in a distillery was enough to glean a, a sliver a tiny sliver yeah. of, of knowledge <laughs> of what really yeah. uh, should be um, spent uh, learning about that that process I, I think um, that's, that's kind of important to say because there are people who devote their whole lives to um, working in distilleries and really they're, they're the real experts yeah, who right. really really have like a, right. an absolute knowledge of, of the process um, yeah for me three months three months was super super useful but um, yeah it was um, was not the whole picture perhaps okay. as well but surely helped to 
give you the tools you need to yeah. be able to educate others absolutely yeah. on your whiskies yeah right and uh, what makes them unique exactly and that's that's what i try and do i i talk a lot about the processes that we use at the distillery and really yeah. go into a lot of detail about uh, about those so yeah. i worked i worked in the distillery for three months i worked in a little bit in the packaging and the bottling lines sort of during that that whole time just sort of helping out um and then about two and a bit years ago was asked to become brand ambassador mm -hmm. for for the distillery um and now i think it was maybe six months ago uh, i've become the global brand ambassador Congratulations! Thank you very much. That's so very that's, cool. that's pretty much my whole journey. Okay. Through whiskey. Okay. Uh, to the point we're at at the moment. Okay. Good. Um, so, so what I'm hoping you will do is is lay down for me what makes your processes different. And before you do, mm -hmm. just for our listeners who who may not be so well versed. I'll give sort of the Reader's Digest version of, of, of normal sort of single malt whiskey production, right? Where basically the, the distillery in question, they're making a beer. And to make a beer, you're, you use malted barley. You, with, with hot water, you extract the fermentable sugars from that barley. You take that sugary water. You put it in a tank known as a washback. You introduce yeast which the yeast eats the sugar, pees out alcohol, farts out carbonation, <laughs> and becomes beer. Um, now, you, then you take that beer, and if, if we're talking Scotland, and, and today we are not talking Scotland, but we're using that as the baseline or the signpost for this conversation, um, you take that beer, or they would call it wash, you distill it once, which gets you sort of a 25, 30% alcohol heavy in methanol. And then you distill that a second time. There's your double distillation. And now you have um, uh, with spirit coming off of that still 75-ish percent alcohol. Um, you take the hearts of that cut. You've got the four shot, the hearts and the faints, or in the US we call them the heads, the hearts, the tails. You take the hearts cut, you put that into oak for three years and one day, and then you have single malt whiskey, or in this case, single malt scotch whiskey. So you as a new producer of single malt in Wales, you have this opportunity to create your own identity as a single malt, right? You don't necessarily want to be just another scotch-like single malt. So your processes are way different, and because of that, you have different machinery. So can you, from beginning to end of process, mm -hmm. show us the differences from what you did to what I just explained? Yeah, yeah. First of all, great summary. That was a good summary Thank you. Uh, of making whiskey. It's the um, peeing and the farting that really... It's the that really did it for me, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's a good way to, to describe <laughs> it. <laughs> so, um, for one thing, I've, so a lot of this is involved with kind of the history of, of the distillery itself. Mm -hmm. we, we can get onto that in a little bit. But for the first 13 years that we were running, um, we were getting the wash from a local brewery yeah. in Cardiff called Brains. So that's something that isn't allowed in, in Scotland. In Scotland, the wash has to be produced at the distillery on site. 
Oh. Um, and it isn't something that can be done. So go, put a pin in that really quickly. Yeah. And we can talk about this afterward. You don't necessarily have to follow the SWA guidelines. Are you following European guidelines? Yes, exactly. So so we're under European whiskey law okay. for, for the moment anyway. Um, okay. Maybe Brexit is another subject that this podcast can, can yeah, cover. Yeah, that'll, that'll be Hopefully part two. Hopefully it isn't, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and... What that means is that there are um, a few things that are a little bit more relaxed yeah. than, okay. than the very strict Scotch whiskey laws. Uh, okay. um, so one of those is, is that. Another is about the still design or type, okay. um, which for Scotch whiskey tends to have to be quite traditional. Yeah. Um, and for ours, we have a very, very different type of still that uses columns. That wouldn't necessarily be allowed with Scotch yeah, single malt whiskey either. Still. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and the other one is the use of oak, which for Scotch whiskey is locked in. It says in the law that you have to use oak barrels. And for our whiskey, for Welsh whiskey, or under European law anyway, it says that you must use a wooden container. I believe that might not be the exact wording. Okay. Um, what that means is that we can use other types of woods. We, we, we're not strictly tied to oak. We can use chestnut wood or cherry wood or um, all sorts of other types of woods if we can get hold of them and if the barrels actually stay together. <laughs> theoretically, yeah, that's that's another story. But exactly. But, but even though you're allowed to. Currently, you, you know, everything you're doing is ex-bourbon, ex-port, ex-Madeira, which is all oak. Yeah. Okay. The, the problem is with these other types of woods is that yeah. because um, many places are kind of stuck with oak and um, a lot of people are buying barrels from other people as well. There's not necessarily a lot of mm. uh, vir- virgin oak barrels that, that are necessarily being made in, in Europe anyway. Yeah. Um, it does mean that you're kind of stuck buying barrels off other people unless okay. you want to specifically go to a cooperage and say we need you to find this specific type of wood yeah, yeah, sustainably yeah. sourced from somewhere and, and have them make it for you and ha- probably have a very small very experimental batch of barrels hand crafted for you which of course is really 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 expensive mm. um, mm-hmm. yeah so okay. we, we have a lot of different experiments going on with different types of barrels um Okay. Some of them might not be made of oak. Who knows? <laughs> okay. I might not oh, be at liberty oh, to say. That. I might have that. said too much already. Oh, ooh, a tease. <laughs> All right. So so you got your wash from Brains up yes. until... For, for the first 13 years. First 13 years. Yeah. Okay. So um, if, we, if we go through sort of the whole process start to finish, obviously what we're starting with, what we make is single malt Welsh whiskey. Yeah. So we're using 100% malted barley. Yeah. That grain doesn't necessarily come from Wales. Uh, for any listeners who know Wales or know where Wales is, uh, it's a very rainy place. It's mm. um, pretty horrendous re- weather most of the year. Um, and that isn't necessarily great growing conditions for barley. <laughs> uh, just because it gets too wet, it gets damp, it starts falling apart. Sure. So there aren't a huge number of farmers uh, producing barley in Wales. And if they do, it's, it's, it's quite small really it's not enough for us um, we did use Welsh barley for a little bit one year mm-hmm. uh, but there just wasn't enough of it as far as I'm aware Okay. Um, a lot more of the farming in Wales of course is, is sheep, is livestock um, it's not actual Wales not actual Wales, yeah I, okay. maybe people don't know that you know, we should clear that up right now we're, talking about, we're talking about a whiskey from the country of Wales, not from actual Wales that live in the ocean 
<laughs> Hopefully people understand that. that. That's my whale impression. That was a good one. Uh, yeah, thank you. So uh, we, we tend to get the barley from, from England. Okay. Um, specifically from kind of the, the east coast of the UK um, because there's a lot more barley grown there and specifically for the whiskey industry as well. Oh, okay. It's known for being good, really good quality. And a lot of uh, a lot of barley for Scotch whiskey is also grown there as well. Yes, yeah, that, that I'm aware of. So that is going to a maltsters also in, in England, and then it's uh, being delivered to us. Okay, so you're not using... Bairds or, or any of those up in Scotland, you're getting, you're sourcing your malt from England. Uh, yeah, as, okay. as far as I'm aware at the moment, yeah. it, it does okay. change every now and then. Yeah, but, sure. Um, okay. And, and we have used other people in the past. Um, but yeah, it, it's quite normal for really for a distillery now to be sourcing it from somewhere else rather yeah. than actually malting it themselves yeah. just because you need a lot of, a lot of space and um, equipment to be able to do that, a lot of expertise in sort of the malting process itself. So yeah. it's quite a hard thing to be able to do uh, yourselves as, as a distillery. So that is coming into the distillery. Um, we mill it down um, to pretty normal proportions as whiskey tends to go. Mm-hmm. Um, Which are for our listeners? Uh, let me get this right. So it's 70%-ish should be the sort of... Um, the, the actual like grist the, the, the yeah. grits I can't remember what they call what it yeah it's grist grist yeah, yeah grist that is the right term good uh, 20% husks 10% flour okay. something like that so uh, it's breaking apart the barley yes. corn into those proportions of of larger largest to sort of smallest particles exactly uh, from and, the yeah and this is an underrated part of the process the milling it doesn't sound very exciting uh <laughs> because it probably because it isn't um <laughs> but it is the most likely thing to make a distillery blow up is the mill oh um, if it's like a stone or something that yeah. goes through causes a spark there's a lot of dust from the flour oh very it, combustible it's yeah. very very combustible that is the most likely cause of an explosion at a distillery as far as i'm aware uh, yeah feel free to call me out on yeah, that no i think um, i think you're right so it's it behooves y- your 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 malt, the, the maltsters who provide you with malt. Yeah, you have to be pretty trusting. Yeah. Of also, yeah. modern mills are equipped to deal with stuff like that. They have, they have like catches. filters and yeah, things, yeah, catches yeah. for yeah. stones yeah. and bits of metal. They have magnets in stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, as I said, all very exciting stuff. Um, but also, <laughs> also, if you have too um, uh, too many husks in in the process, uh, it's not really your your mash is going to get kind of stuck it's not really going to be able to like filter out of the mash tun particularly easily okay tend to sort of go to the bottom of the mash tun it's very it's a bit more difficult and you're not getting you're not getting as good a yield um if there's too much flour it can easily sort of block up all the pipe work and stuff again your mashing isn't as efficient as it could be um so yeah it's important that those proportions are are as good as they can be for for the distillery that's good Good, good to hear. Good for our listeners yeah. to hear that. Good. So then we have a semi-lauter mash tun um, that the grist goes through into. It's mixed with hot water. Um, again, pretty normal temperatures for, for that. Um, so it's like 65, 80, and 90 degrees, something like that. But again, yeah. those kind of shift depending on um, what we're doing at the distillery at, at the time. And, okay. Um, best practice really that we've decided at the time so it might be a little bit above 
65 sometimes or a little bit above 80 or, or whatever. Okay. Um, okay. But those are, tend to be fairly standard temperatures. We do three, um, three lots of water for, for the mashing. Sure. At those three different temperatures. And that's that hot water is converting the starches into the fermentable sugars. Exactly. Okay. So, so far, what you're doing is the same exact thing as to what Scotch whiskey producers are doing. It is exactly so far. the same. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it is pretty much up until the, the fermentation. Anyway, um, the, the first two waters are going through into one of the fermenting tanks. That will fill one of those with about 7,500 litres of, uh, of wort. And the third water then gets recycled back into the next batch. Yeah. It's all fairly similar. Um, then we add the yeast. Fermentation times tend to be about 70 hours at the moment. Um, we did used to do some like five-day fermentations as well because wow. we weren't open at the weekends. At the moment, we're trying to produce as much whiskey as we possibly can. The distillery's at full capacity, um, so it's pretty consistent right now. It tends to be about 70 hours. And so two questions there. Are, are you using any, any particular, like an unusual yeast, or is it like a standard car- carrier um, Maori? I, I'm not allowed to talk a huge amount about the yeast understood um wow however i can tell you i think that we use sort of two slightly different uh types of distillers yeast wow okay uh, dried yeast dried distillers yeast. dried okay 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 um, and after about 50-ish hours actually you've, you've pretty much produced all the alcohol that you're going to produce from, yeah from a fermentation and after that, what you get is a lot of the yeast cells um, actually dying off. And sure. instead, what's growing is uh, lactic acid bacteria, which actually produce a lot of esters, which are very, very fruity flavors. Yes. Um, and that's really what we're aiming towards. Like the whole process is trying to uh, produce this quite fruity, light style of spirit. That's kind of what we're aiming for. Yeah. Um, I think when you, well, when you build a distillery or you're looking to build a distillery you, you have in mind perhaps what it, what you want it to taste like in an ideal world um, and so there are certain things that you can do to try and sort of push it in uh, in that direction perhaps okay. nudge it in that direction yeah. so that's, de- that's definitely one of them um, so then this is where things get a little bit different or very different um, because from the fermentations the whiskey is through into a Faraday still and a Faraday still is very difficult to describe over uh, just, just talking to people without, without images. Um, what I would suggest is that listeners can go, uh, can look up what a Faraday still yeah. is. And I'll post um, some on our Facebook groups yeah. and, and Instagram as well. Yeah, okay. But that's, if, that's a good idea. For those that aren't in the One Nation Under Whiskey Facebook group, the Single Cast Nation Facebook group, um, or on our One Nation Under Whiskey Instagram, yeah, definitely Google is your friend. Um, so this this Faraday still is is a, a unique still in the whiskey world. There's n- no other distillery with this exact type, um, and it's like a hybrid between a pot and a column still. But it mm. is a batch distillation. Yeah, it just does one distillation rather than double or triple. Um, and it's pretty tall as well. It's something like 16 meters, was it? So yeah. How much was that in feet again? It's about 42 feet tall. 42 feet. Yeah. Um, and what you what you have is a, a pot uh, in the bottom, 
that has a steam coil in, of course, heating up the, mm -hmm. uh, the liquid, the wash from the fermentation. And the alcohol is, is rising off into a first column that's a little bit shorter um, than the second. And it has six perforated plates on the inside. Okay. The whole thing's made of copper. Um, and these perforated plates cause the, the actual liquid that's rising off the alcohol to kind of stop there and drop back down as a liquid to condense as, as reflux. And that liquid will then redistill, can rise off again. Some of the liquid's going to drop down. Some of it's going to rise through that plate and hit a second plate. As it gets lighter and again, more purified. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And drop back down, redistill, uh, rise off again, drop back down, redistill, and, and so on. So there's six plates in that first column, and then there's 18 in a second column. So there's a pipe going from the first column into the bottom of the second. Um, and then again, it's going to rise up through all those plates in the second column. And there's also a condenser at the very top of the still, and liquid will be falling down the still mm -hmm. um, throughout the distillation as well. So you've got liquid rising and falling through the still. Um, and essentially after an hour, pretty much, the still reaches kind of like an equilibrium where it's separated all the different flavors, the alcohol, oils to different sections of the still. Um, and essentially when you, as you described, when you're doing a cut of whiskey um, with a more sort of scotch style distillation, you take the, the head, the heart and the tails. Um, generally you, you do that by time with our still, with the Faraday still, it essentially kind of does it for you by space. So a lot of the heavier um, oils will kind of collect in the bottom of that second column. Okay. Um, and and that would be the, the faints, the tails. Yeah. And the heads portion, those sort of higher alcohols, all the methanol will collect in the very top of the still. And the middle portion has kind of the heart, the best spirit that has the best flavor. And we have a pipe that will then draw that off um, and it comes through actually a glass condenser into a, uh, a glass, sort of a big glass vial. Uh, it looks very sort of science, science-y, um, <laughs> which, which is great. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it, it looks very, very cool. Um, but because there's already been so much copper interaction, you don't really need copper in the condenser um, because of that as well. And, and that spirit that's coming off is very, very high strength. Um, I'm not going to say high proof because I know you hate that. Oh, thank I you. Almost did it. I you almost did it. I know you did. Um, I felt, I sensed yeah. it. High strength. Uh, so it starts coming off about 92% and it'll go down to 89. At the, at the moment, we, we cut it at 89. So we, we do actually wow. take a, a cut, a very small cut. Um, and any of that liquid that's left in the second column at the end will go back into the next distillation. What we're left over with then is about 220-ish litres of... 90 and a half ish percent alcohol so over 90 okay. percent alcohol um, which is very 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 high for single malt and i think if you went above that um you'd kind of get into more neutral sort of territory anyway but but what's what's so two things before i go on to what i want to say is like you know the most surprising thing mm -hmm. but first off it what i love hearing about the the, the cuts that you're taking is is that you're you're letting the still do the work yeah and letting physics do its work to say okay the lightest molecules are going to float to the top those yeah, are your heads essentially exactly it's, that, it's to do with like the volatility of the different chemical compounds yeah. within the still um yeah, we're letting chemistry do, do the work it's for us, which is which is fantastic. It's really amazing. Um, we don't have to pay the like a more sort of Scotch style double distillation. Yeah, you'd have to pay closer attention to. I, I think. Yeah. Um, whereas the Faraday stills, you have to come along every hour and, and check them, make sure they're not blowing yeah. up. But 
um, other than that, they're, they're kind of steady. So what, what I find so interesting is, is when people hear, myself included, when people hear 89 to 92% alcohol, um, hold on, I just want to make sure I'm not going to get hit by a car like that guy. Okay. Um, that worked. Yeah, that worked. <laughs> We're alive. Just about. Uh, you know, you, you, you instantly think of grain-neutral spirits. Yep. Because um, you are getting close to that. 95% yep. alcohol becomes grain-neutral spirits. But having tasted the new make and obviously tasting the whiskey, somehow... And it seems this part seems to defy logic. Like up until now, everything's logical. Everything makes sense. Yeah. But 89 to 92% alcohol. And I, I would think that you are, you've got no oils in there for mouthfeel and you've got nothing in there to provide you with flavor. But while yes, your, your spirit is delicate, it's incredibly flavorful, incredibly fruity. And then the final product has a good grip to it. There's good mouthfeel to it. Yeah. And I mean, I, do, I don't even, I don't know if you can explain where that's coming from or if that's just magic and we'll just let that be magic. Our, our whiskey is magical. It is. Uh, it defies, it defies science. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm sure if we have chemists who, yeah. who are listening or chemical engineers, maybe they can, they can explain, but, um, yeah, it, um, I, I would expect whiskey distilled to that higher percentage to taste more neutral than it does. Yeah. If that makes sense. And, makes, and have less yeah. of a mouthfeel than, than it does. Um, so we, we, we're very lucky really as, as well, yeah. I think to, to have this, um, very special Faraday still. So do you, in your opinion, do you think that Faraday still is helping you to define what Welsh whiskey is? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I would say that for me, that's the main thing that um, gives us our style, our yeah. like personality to the whiskies. And I think it's incredibly important to have something that is different. Um, it would have been safer, perhaps not easier, but it would have been safer to mm-hmm. take something that they already knew worked and bring it to Wales. So you take yeah. Scotch style double distillation and you bring it yeah. to Wales or an Irish style triple distillation and, and you put it in, in our distillery in Wales. Yeah. You know that's going to probably produce good whiskey. It's more likely to. To take something that has never been used before um, and just to, just to see, well, you know, no one's ever tried this, but if it does work it's not only a Welsh whiskey because it's in Wales, but we're redefining what Welsh whiskey should taste like. And and there were no sort of preconceptions about that because there hadn't been a Welsh whiskey for a hundred years before us. Do you think there would be an opportunity to, or a reason to establish your own uh, whiskey guidelines similar to Scotch whiskey Association, where they're saying, well, you know, it needs to be produced in either a, a column still or a Loman still for yeah. it to be Scotch whiskey. Is there anything to say, well, we want to protect what Welsh whiskey tastes like? What can, what are the things we can put into place to make that happen? Um, I, yeah, I think that would be 
that would be something from my perspective just personally I think that would be something that would be really useful yeah um, for us to to define sort of set in stone some kind of legislation that defines Welsh whiskey um, and I think that's something that we would look towards um, hopefully working towards in, in the future but I think it just isn't quite there yet like the industry of, of Welsh whiskey isn't quite there yet well, there are some yeah. there are some new distilleries that have started up recently as you mentioned you know, we're looking at building some new distilleries in Wales mm-hmm. and I think in the next 5-10 years it's going to b- start becoming a little bit more solid as, as a category um, a little bit more um, well known of course as well and and I think that will be the stage where we need to have this conversation with the other distilleries in Wales as well and, and sort of set out what we think yeah. um, Welsh whiskey should be defined as and that will kind of protect it as well. Do you have new dis- new distilleries coming to you looking for, for guidance as they're looking to build their own distilleries? That's a great great question. One of many. Um, yes, we have had people come mm-hmm. to the distillery um, looking for looking for guidance looking for um encouragement and and stories about um you know difficulties that perhaps that we faced at the beginning mm-hmm. um and how they could sort of not make the same mistakes yeah. how that we how they could learn from our mistakes yeah um i think the two other distilleries that there are in wales at the moment haven't gone through that process but we've heard from okay. other people if that makes sense okay yeah who, who have been looking to to build distilleries there. okay yeah. okay so we've distilled your spirit in you, our imaginations in our imaginations <laughs> we can do anything in our we, imaginations a- anything is possible david anything's possible so Pen- pendaren has made its name i think or, or at least led with we are a distillery that matures our whiskeys in bourbon barrels first, and then we use different finishing casks yeah. to separate one whiskey from the next. And, and I wonder if you could go into maybe some of the history of why you do that, and ha- have there been any changes? Have you learned things along the way that it helped you to... Uh, maybe change up what you have done, or or did you get did you get it right the first time? Um, there are definitely definitely lessons to to be learned from. Uh, I think when when you're starting a distillery, you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. Full stop. There's no, there's no avoiding that, and that and that's a healthy um, process to go through. That you that sure you need to learn from from those. Yeah. So Pendaren tends to go into bourbon barrels, Buffalo Trace bourbon barrels, mm-hmm. for perhaps four or five years-ish okay. to start with, and then it's usually finished in another type of cask after that for perhaps six months or a year. Um, and the different whiskies that we do tend to be different finishing casks that we're using for, the, for that. Okay. Um, and that was something that's just expanded organically, I think, over the years as we've been experimenting with different cask types and seeing what works and what doesn't and trying as well to sort of stay ahead of the game stay ahead of mm. what can we do next what can we do that's different that's new that people haven't really seen before yeah and also just random accidents that just that just happen as well so when we first started the distillery jim swan became involved which was absolutely fantastic for us and he came on as like a consultant master distiller mm-hmm. for us really showed us how to make whiskey how to 
what we should be doing in terms of the distillation, filling casks, what types of barrels we should be trying to get hold of. And um, very much said to us from, from the beginning, you need to find something that makes you different that no one is doing much of, but also works well with the Penderin spirit. Yeah. So here's a list of a dozen, 15 different barrel types that I can get hold of for you from different types of wines, fortified wines, different whiskey barrels, different types of, of woods perhaps that, that we could use. And I want you to, what we're gonna do is we're gonna put the whiskey into these barrels for maybe three months and then I'll come back and t we'll taste them all together oh, and see okay. what works the best with the, with the Penderin spirit. And from that, that was how the original whiskey kind of came about, which was the Madeira finish, yeah, um, which was kind of our classic style of, of whiskey and has really become something we've been well known for now. Um, and, and, it, and when I taste it again, I, I can totally see that it really does work. Um, the style of the spirit fits so nicely with the fruitiness, the light fruitiness that the Madeira wines sure, yeah. is giving as well. But then like just random stuff happens as well. So we accidentally bought a load of barrels from uh, like a, a broker in, in Scotland, like reused Scotch whiskey barrels. Some of them happened to be from Isla and huh. we filled up the whiskey barrels without even without even looking at the cask ends, without even reading the names. And Jim Swan comes back to taste the whiskey and he says, well, hold on guys, this this whiskey's peated. What, what, what have you been doing? <laughs> we, we discussed that we weren't going to try and copy, you know, any other style of whiskey. We wanted it to be something different, but this, this whiskey tastes smoky. And then everyone, of course, is freaking out. Oh my God, what have we done? We've bought all these, all these barrels and the whiskey's been maturing in them now. Like we can't just, was it a lot? we can't unpeat that whiskey. I, I, it was a lot at the time because we didn't have a lot of whiskey. Oh, um, okay. Yeah at, yeah. at this time we were producing something like one barrel of the equivalent of one barrel okay. of whiskey a day. So even two barrels, that's like a lot. Exactly. That's a big amount. That's, uh, yeah, that's, a, yeah. that's a lot of whiskey okay. for us uh, at the time. So someone very clever in that room thought, well, hold on we could try and just release this as a special edition Ooh. and just see what happens. Wink and uh, a nod, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and at, the very, at the very least, you know, we've gotten rid of it <laughs> if, if yeah. it's not something the market wants. Um, but it ended up winning an award, did really well with the Whiskey Critic, and it's been part of our, like, original range. Um, ever since. Ever since. So that was the, there's, like, happy accidents that, that happen as well. Wow. Um, which, which are great. So that's, yeah. now we have uh, our, our Kelt version mm -hmm. um, and uh, a Peated version as well. That's just called Penderin Peated. That, and I would like to reiterate, on both of these whiskeys, there is no Peated barley involved. We don't use Peated barley whatsoever. Yeah. And it's just a, a cask finishing in uh, Isla, ex-Isla quarter casks. Hmm, I wonder. Yeah, we, <laughs> we hmm. wonder which distillery that might be. Who uh, uses quarter? I don't know. Very clever well, listeners will be able to find out. Yep, yep. Mr. Google is your friend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so let, let me throw this in here really quickly. This is something that Jason and I have mentioned in the past. As we're talking about this and as you're talking about creating your various whiskeys, differentiating them by use of finishing casks. Yeah. Jason and I have talked about casks being used for finishing whiskey. You know, no one finishes a perfect whiskey. That's a fantastic point. Right? Yeah, I would very much agree with, with that. Um, but however, however, certain things, yeah. how, however, having said that, just last night you had brought a cask sample, which was, uh, it was a 13-year-old from a first fill bourbon barrel. Yeah. 
And I would say that that was pretty darn close to perfection. It was absolutely, it, it was stunning. And it didn't need any other casks to give it this wonderful sort of evolution from nose to palate to finish. So you're not, you're not using these casks to hide stuff. Mm-hmm. You're using them to create a product line. Yeah, absolutely. And something interesting, something different yeah, that yeah. consumers will, will enjoy as well. Um, it's important that your whiskeys stand out from everything else being released. Yeah. And if you're just using bourbon barrels, that's not necessarily the case. Okay. However, Pandarin, because it's such a light and, and delicate whiskey as well, you can very easily um, overdo it. You, you can very easily just obliterate the car, the the spirit character with yeah. with using casks. So we've never really used virgin oak barrels, I think, mainly mm. for that reason. Um, a lot of the finishings that we do uh, can be quite short. They can be, you know, three months or six months sometimes, in particular with the peated stuff, because it, it can just be so overbearing. Yeah. Um, and it's not the case for, for everyone. We have a distillery exclusive that's two years in, in a peated barrel. It's fantastic. But... Yeah, it's, it's often the case that it, that it can be overwhelmed quite easily. Mm-hmm. So I think when we're finishing whiskeys in different barrels, it, it has to do with creating something that, that's really different and interesting, but yeah. also we're trying to keep the natural spirit character in there as well and, and trying to really um, save that, trying to trying to keep that really intact yeah. while also giving these really interesting flavors around it. We, we don't want to overdo it. We don't want to make the whiskeys too sweet or too smoky or whatever. And, and actually, this is something I feel quite strongly about is that um, it's an underappreciated aspect of, of whiskey at the moment. It's like a well-balanced, really integrated style of whiskey. Um, a lot of um, places that, that I go, particularly festivals sometimes, you know, people come up to me and say, what's your oldest whiskey? <laughs> what's your, what's your yeah. best whiskey? And I don't know what they mean by that, uh, perhaps most expensive. Uh, or, or what's your most smoky whiskey? Give me your smokiest yeah, one. Yeah. Um, and that's th- those are those are things that I hear quite a lot from people. And, and in a way, those whiskeys are easier to make. It's it's easier to just bombard a whiskey with smoke and just like shoot sure. it to the absolute extreme, um, or create something that's like super super sweet. You just rinse the the whiskey in, in sherry completely. Yeah, yeah. Just, um, yeah. Whereas something that that actually has a really nice balance of flavors where it's not too sweet and it's not too smoky and it has different aspects to it that are all quite subtle. Mm. Um, that's, that is a beautiful thing. Um, yeah. And I think that's really underappreciated in whiskey at the moment. That's so it's, it's, it's the care that you take yeah. to ensure your, your whiskeys are retaining that, that lighter, fruitier style without getting, Hidden by too much smoke from the cask, from the little f- cat. Thank God for editing. Uh, yeah. He said leapfrog. He was saying the leapfrog cask. Yep, leapfrog uh, casks. Um, or, or you know, using you know first fill sherry casks from the beginning. Yeah, you know something like that. Now you had said something really interesting. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> well, well, we had talked about, and we've been talking about this, you know, over, over the past few days, 
you started distilling in 2000, so you have whiskeys that are up to 19 years old. Yeah. And just just a couple of minutes ago, you, you talk about people who are saying, what's your oldest, what's your best, what's your whatever. But one thing you told me was you've tasted some of the, the, the 17, 18, 19-year-old stuff, mm-hmm. and while it's really good, it's not necessarily... R- recognizable as a Pandaren or not putting forth the flavors that you would like to represent yeah. as a Pandaren. Yeah. I I, um, I was very, very lucky that me and one of my colleagues, Mike, were able to sit down with Eister, who's our master blender now, mm. and taste through uh, a cask sample from every vintage that we had available okay. at the time, which was an absolutely incredible experience um, to be able to do at all, but also just for, for my knowledge of the whiskies and, and to know how they taste at certain ages. Yeah. Um, and my favorites were like 15, 16. Mm-hmm. And both me and Mike agreed that the ones that were 17 and 18 that we had, mm-hmm. uh, this was last year, so we didn't have any 19-year-old whiskey at, the, at that time, um, weren't, they, they hadn't, they didn't have that Pandaren character to them, and that was a sad. That was a really sad thing for us because they'd just gone a little bit too far, mm. and they weren't. You you could taste them and go, "That's great whiskey," but what distillery is it from? What country is it from? You, yeah, it you could wouldn't, be anywhere. You wouldn't know necessarily that that it was a Pandaren. Um, and I feel like Pandaren is really one of those recognizable whiskies where you can smell it, you can taste it, you can go that's a Pendaren. Yes. Um, yeah. Yep. Because it has such a distinct style to it. Um, so it's kind of sad that those whiskies had, had lost that a little bit. So some of the best stuff. I, I'm, I am a big fan of the bourbon barrel Pendarens. Mm. Um, we don't do them very often. We sometimes do them as single casks. We did um, an addition in our Icons of Wales series, which we don't sell here in the US yet, uh, called the Bryn Terval, which was just from bourbon barrels. Um, which was absolutely fantastic and I loved. And personally, that's something I'd like to see more of. But mm-hmm. um, we, we already have a big range of whiskeys. Yeah, eight, um, eight whiskeys. Yeah. So. Is, is good. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. So it's something that I really enjoy about Pendaren is, is those bourbon barrels. And yeah, it's. We, we, so this was a great example. We had uh, a whiskey that we did as a distillery exclusive and it was like a bottle your own. So people would yeah. go up and you, you bottle the whiskey from like a little barrel in the, in the shop. Great. Um, and it was from a bourbon barrel and the whiskey was really, really great, great quality. Um, really, really fresh and almost like refreshing, just lovely. Wow. Um, okay. And what I would do, I knew this whiskey was only three and a half years old. So I would take it to tastings Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing a bit of work in the Netherlands and like in, in Germany at the time and I would take it to tastings and I would have it as like an extra that people didn't really know about. Okay. Um, so I'd like sort of bring it out at the end and go, okay, guys, I've got one final whiskey for you, a very special whiskey from the distillery. And everyone would go, oh, oh, wow. You know, oh, what is it? <laughs> and I kind of keep the label hidden and I go around and pour it to, to people. Yeah, smart. And they taste it. Everyone would rave about it and say how good it was. And I'd ask them at the end, so how old do you think the whiskey is? And some people would say, oh, I think it's nine, I think it's 12, I think it's six. N- barely, barely anyone, only one or two people ever guessed uh, that it was three years old. Okay. It was such uh, an enlightening thing for people. When I told them and I said, 
that whiskey is the minimum age that whiskey can be. It's three years old. People's mouths would drop open. Yeah. Their whole yeah. illusions about whiskey would, would be uh, would be shattered. So, um, yeah, it's it's yeah that 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 age that can really work. The age is uh, a valid demarcation of of quali- like a qualifier mm-hmm. of quality. Yeah, uh, which is it's a constant constant battle yeah. to be having. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I can't remember if that answers your question. <laughs> I've, I'm not going to be, um, I'm not going to lie here. I don't remember what I asked okay. you. That's fine. Um, <laughs> Good. <laughs> so now you're selling Welsh whis- whiskey across the world. Yeah. And as a brand, am- as the global brand ambassador, uh, you're going from country to country to country saying, check out Pindaren. Mm-hmm. What are what are some of the challenges that you're up against, and, and do they and do they differ from market to market? Yes. Okay. Perfect. Does that answer your yes. <laughs> next question. No. Um, <laughs> uh, definitely. In the the reaction that I get, it's actually often in Europe. It seems like is I'll I'll say to people, oh, you know, this is a, a Welsh whiskey. We did like try it. Let's say at a festival, mm. and and people go, oh, really, Welsh whiskey. I didn't know Wales made whiskey. Yeah. Oh, that, hmm. And they make these kind of noises. And for me, like, their facial expressions as well. And I think behind that is like a bit of skepticism and a little bit of negativity or something. There's like a nugget of mm. negativity seated in people's uh, consciousness about, yeah. about oh, that's something different. Oh, I don't know if that's going to be good. I don't, I'm not sure if I see that as being mm-hmm. good. And that's, that's nothing against, I don't know, European people but uh that's just the reaction that i see more there and it's really refreshing to work here in the u.s actually partially because um i'll say would you like to try welsh whiskey here here and people go really welsh whiskey wow that's something i want to try that's something that's really cool yeah, yeah. and that's something really different um so there's this, this more positive reaction here I, I feel like which is which is great um but i find myself having to, having to fight a little bit more okay. in europe which is fine which which i love doing um, yeah. which i'm i'm kind of trained for now um become kind of kind of hardened to it <laughs> um yeah so sometimes it's sometimes in england actually and, and scotland as well you know people will be like oh you know it should only be it's more in england actually i find than scotland the scots are very open to trying our whiskey and, and every time i've been in scotland it's it's been uh, really successful uh, in england sometimes i hear Oh no! Whis- whiskey should only be Scottish. Oh, I, you shouldn't have made whiskey in Wales. Like you haven't even tried it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, oh no, I don't want to try that. I don't wow. want to try that. Right. Well, Interesting. You haven't tried it. And I think Pendarin is one of those whiskeys that people see on the shelves and they're not really sure about. And that's part of the reason that, uh, I've been over here a lot this year, um, getting people to to try it. Because yeah. when people do try it, they realise the the quality and they go, "Oh wow!" You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's something that's that's really really good to do that's my whole job so and, and cool. it's a lovely job to have because you see people's faces like light up um when they realize because they're, maybe they're not expecting great things and they try it and they go oh wow yeah it's really impressive yeah so yeah that's that's, that's the best that's one of the best parts of my job and being you know being able to sell it here you know d- doing various uh, events or in-store events or, or things like that it's one of the things that I love for people who've never tasted, whether it's your whiskey or someone else's whiskey, mm. you know, but you see, but specifically with yours, it's when their face lights up. Yeah. They, they, they take a sip and their face lights up saying, I've not tasted anything like this yeah, before. Absolutely. That 
is different. That is good. Yeah. There's also something to be said for the satisfaction of really proving someone wrong. Oh gosh. Really I feel like so when good. someone's like really against trying mm. your whiskey and they're and they're they're being really negative about it and they're oh, oh Welsh whiskey, oh you should know. And then they try it and they go, Oh damn it. <laughs> I was wrong. This is this is all right. Yeah. And it's normally like it's normally goes like they're they're like begrudgingly like saying that yeah, the yeah, all right. Uh-huh. It, it's pretty good. <laughs> and you're like, damn right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Damn right, it's pretty good. There's a yeah, there's a particular yeah. satisfaction to be found in that. Do you need uh, just for future reference, if you need to take this microphone home mm-hmm. for when that happens and you, that ha- and you need to uh, drop just, a mic, yeah. just I'll let me know because I've got a few mics. Awesome, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so we started off the conversation with. The f- we touched on the fact that you guys are op- are working on opening up two new distilleries in Wales. Yes. That is very... What's the word I'm trying to think of? Give me a good word. Foolhardy. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about favorite words just yesterday, but, but some of them don't fit here. Like you can't say that's very defenestration. Uh, no, you can't. You can't say that. No. Um, uh, but it's very ambitious. Ambitious. Yes. Ambitious is a good word. Yes. I like ambitious. Yes. Uh, it is. It is ambitious. And um, so, what w- what are your hopes? Is it because you need to expand production, and if that's the case, can't you just do it on your own land, or like why? Why build two new distilleries? Which my understanding is they're actually going to be a bit further away from from where you are now? Yeah. Um, great question. The Where we are at the moment, Pendarin, is mm-hmm. the village of Pendarin, All right. which is in the Brecon Beacons, which is a national park in South Wales, a um, little bit north of Cardiff. And it's an area that's kind of protected. It's very difficult to get planning permission. It, it would be quite hard, I think, to expand the current distillery that, that we have. We're trying to make use of the, the space. And you, you've been to the distillery. Mm-hmm. If you go to the distillery, it, it's pretty packed in. We've yeah. crammed in a lot of equipment uh, in, an, in a small area. You've basically Tetrised your equipment. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah. Forsyth's have, have really helped with that. Yeah, they're, they're really good. Yeah. They're a good company. Uh, they do some good work. So what that means for us really is that if we're looking to expand we can't necessarily do it in the village of of Penderin very easily Um, so what we've decided to do is is build two new distilleries Um, we don't necessarily need a huge amount more whiskey than we have at the moment Mm. we've we've got the current distillery running on like full capacity producing as much whiskey as as we can really Um, and Something that we've seen a huge upsurge in is, uh, as well, is visitor numbers and um, something that's really helped get the brand out there has been uh, tours, doing tours at the distillery. Um, And essentially every single person, it should be the case that every single person that comes into the distillery that spends an hour with you going around the distillery, you're talking to them about the stories, the history, um, the whiskies themselves, how they're made, how much effort is going in mm. um, to that whiskey. And that person should walk out of the distillery and they're almost like a brand ambassador in, in 
in and of themselves. Sure. And they'll go and they'll tell their friends and their family, oh, I had this great experience the other day. I went to this distillery. And even if they're not into whiskey, they'll, they'll talk about it and, and they'll say how great it was. And it really helps get the name out there. So that's something that we're definitely uh, looking at as well as visitor numbers. These Both of these distilleries are going to be in um, more sort of centralized areas. Um, yeah, because you're currently out of the way. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's not necessarily the easiest place to get to, yeah. uh, Pendarren. There's not, not necessarily great transport links up there. <laughs> um, you, yeah. it's, it's easy to drive, but it's, it's difficult to get there by, okay. by public transport. But these, these new distilleries are going to be in much more accessible areas. There's okay. going to be one in Swansea, um, which is a city in, in South Wales, just sure. kind of along the coast from, from Cardiff. And there's going to be one in North Wales as well, uh, on the uh, sort of the very north coast is where we're looking at at the moment. And so we're hoping to get you know, a lot more visitors into these places mm. as well, as well as being able to produce some some more whiskey um, for for the distillery. Because what we uh, we have seen, yeah. you know, the the figures are always sort of on the up and up, and we can only produce so much whiskey. So yeah, um, yeah it's definitely on our minds that that if the popularity of the whiskey keeps increasing. We're going to need more whiskey at one at some point. Yeah. Well, so you said it before. You've you've sort of reached capacity. What is the capacity currently? Um, Three hundred and eighty thousand liters of a pure, pure alcohol. alcohol, and that inc- yeah. that includes spirit, both off your Faraday stills and your uh, standard copper copper pot stills. Yeah. I mean, we haven't we haven't talked a huge amount about that. I don't think so. Essentially, at the distillery, we have two Faraday stills mm-hmm. and we have one set of more traditional Scotch style pot stills yeah um, which we've been producing on since 2014 so it's coming up to five years now okay and nothing has really been sold from from those or nothing's been bottled really from that side of the the production it's all been okay. kept separate um, we're kind of hanging on to that until until it's ready um, I think because the stuff from the Faraday stills is quite light and it's, and it's delicate it it's not necessarily maturing quicker, but it's it has less of those kind of oily or off flavors that yeah. need to mature out of the whiskey, if that makes sense, that need to be. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. Do you, for, and I know I said before, it's a sort of pen, penultimate question there, uh, but I've, we've just changed that up because now we're talking about these stills. <laughs> um, so we, we talked about what makes Pendaren Pendaren yeah. is really tied to the still. Yeah. So here you are, cre- and I think you said about a third of your overall spirit production is from the copper pot stills. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you're, go- you're laying a lot down, right? So 100,000 liters or so is from the copper pot stills, Something 200 like that, yeah. from, from the Faraday stills. If the Faraday stills make Pendaren Pendaren... Is that other stuff going to maybe be under a different brand name? Is it going to be incorporated into Pendaren Spirit? Do you even have a, a, a plan for it now? It's some, definitely something that we're thinking very heavily on at the moment. Yeah. Um, because we, as, as you said, you know, we, we've very much defined ourselves as you know, the Welsh whiskey, and this is what it's going to taste like. This is what the style is going to be like. People have certain expectations mm. about what a Pendarin is going to taste like. And we said, you know, it's so um, it's, it has its own style. And it's easy to see in the whiskies. Um, we were looking to make the distillery more, more adaptable. If you look at a lot of modern distilleries, Japanese distilleries, and 
um, places like Rose Isle. Yeah. Alcibay, oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. They have different types of stills within within the distillery. You've got different shapes, different sizes. Some have different types of condensers. Um, and what that means is that those distilleries, Rose Isle, the whole point it was designed is that so it could make every single other type of whiskey from, like, from all yeah. the Diageo distilleries yeah. at, at one place. And that makes it hugely, hugely useful for them. If, you know, somewhere shuts down, they can sort of try and recreate it at Rosal. Yeah. Um, so for us, yeah, it was about, it was something that Jim Swan had suggested to make the distillery a lot more adaptable for, for the future, to adapt to certain demands, mm. certain markets. Um, and yeah, we're, we're thinking very heavily on how we're, we're going to uh, release that in, in the future, whether that's okay. on its own. I think it would be under the Pendarin name, the Pendarin brand. Okay. But perhaps it would say on it, distilled in more, in, distilled in traditional copper pot stills. Yeah. Something okay. like that that would that would set it apart. Okay. A different range, perhaps different packaging. I'm, I'm not sure at, at this stage. So you wouldn't necessarily do like Tobermory make Lechig, and that's the peated version. You, you know what I mean? You you would. Mm. Yeah. I I think that would be a great idea. Um, uh, please, I want royalties if that perhaps, happens. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I'm not sure it'll happen. I, I don't know. You, you spend so long like building up a brand, and it, it's the name of the distillery. Even though yeah. you know it's all um, because it's all made in the same building, it's all Pendarin whiskey. It's all Pendarin distillery. Even though the stuff is going to taste quite different. Yeah, um, I would have thought. So yeah. we'll have to wait and see what the powers right. that be uh, decide on on that one. Okay, cool. That was. A fantastic listen. And I love hearing David talk about the Faraday still as Mm -hmm. much as he did, because I think it does play such an important role in the Pindarin house style. I don't think there's any getting away from that. Let me just add one thing to that. I could tell you have a much, much, you have many more words to say, but what I really found interesting is yes, that's Pindarin house style. However, Pandaren had, had found themselves in the position to say, this is what Welsh single malt whiskey is like. And so it, I think it's exclu- obviously the still is exclusive to them, but, but they're shaping what Welsh whiskey is like. And more distilleries in Wales are going to open up. And I just, I am curious to know if some of these distilleries are going to follow suit to create, you know, a lighter style of spirit, perhaps using their own, you know, different stills, but. Or, or whether you see what David was talking about in the interview, which will be who'll open up in Wales and, and use double distilled copper pot stills. Yeah. And who'll open up in Wales and be triple distilled copper pot stills. Yeah. Yeah. Or or some variation therein. So, yeah, they're they're fortunate in being the leader of the pack mm-hmm. that they get to set their terms and the current terms of Welsh whiskey. Yeah. But who knows where that'll evolve? And as a whiskey lover, that's one of the exciting things about it, about the industry, and about the category, is there is such variability there now mm. that well that's what we're all chasing that's what we're all pursuing and, and paying attention to yeah well, no the only thing I was going to go on to say was I really appreciated how much of the the tail end of the interview 
was really talking about misconceptions that we talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, age being primary among them. But David did still rise to the, the misconception question that, that we ask of all our interviewees. Mm-hmm. And so we thank David for his time, as we just covered that interview there, and rest assured he'll be back to close out the interview with with his own misconception. Yes. But in the meantime, Joshua... Oh... We were just going to cover a quick bit of news. Extra, extra, read all about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, 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 read all about it. Me and that Playboy and Trouble. So, just to cover this quickly, obviously, we've covered over the last few episodes the fifth retail release doing fantastically well. Very, very happy with it. You've talked about your experiences at tastings with it. I've talked about my experience at tastings with it. And I think our Facebook group is reaching out to say some things about what they've tasted. Mm-hmm. Instagram. You know, yeah, Instagram. It's, it's all over the place. And, and we also get Facebook messages and text messages from various nation members and various friends as well uh, talking about their experiences. And everybody's been incredibly mm-hmm. positive mm-hmm. with this fifth one. So it's doing great. The one bit of news that I wanted to circle back on, because we've talked about it, in the lead up to its launch, was our Bowmore 30-year-old. Yes. The the first of our woodcut series, which had the most spectacular dragon on it, uh, drawn by the wonderful Moana McAuliffe, who's our in-house graphic designer. Mm-hmm. People have been receiving that bottle now, and there's the texture of the label. Oh, I know. Which is awfully sexy. It is. And then there's the quality of the artwork on the label. It's gorgeous. Which is incredibly sexy. And then there's the juice inside the bottle, (laughs) which is incredibly sexy. So um, we released it. It sold out in four minutes. 150 bottles. You and I had been saying quite honestly, as, as we like to do on this podcast, we'd said quite honestly, don't know how this is going to perform. It's a $395... 30-year-old Isla whiskey mm-hmm. with a little bit of the Parma violet, a little bit of the floral going on. Yep. Notes that we like, but isn't up everybody's alley. And 150 total bottles of it. To sell it out in four minutes, I'm, I'm gobsmacked. Absolutely gobsmacked. On the day when it was happening, I, know. I didn't I know, know what to do with myself. Thankfully, it was only four minutes yeah. when I didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> you, know, you know what I did for those four minutes? I don't know if you should tell us this. I smacked gobs. <laughs> right? Is that how one Man, gets gobsmacked? Even when we got as far as smacked, I wasn't even sure where you were taking that one. So, okay, good. Good, good, good. But... But now, again, with the Facebook page uh, yeah. and with the text machine, uh, get on up like a text machine. Sorry. Uh, wow. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. Wow. Yeah, I tell you, 12-year-old <laughs> kids are loving this. Yeah, they're like, I have no idea what any of that meant. <laughs> so it, it did fantastically well, and it really has inspired us to put our very best feet forward with the second release in the Woodcut series. Let me clarify to people, because you use that word now twice, the wood, mm-hmm. Woodcut series. Yes, sir. So this is what we've been dubbing, uh, you know, the, this, this, dra- this dragon label that we did 
it's in the um, it's in the theme of woodcut art. And so we're going to have another label, another whiskey. We've already put the cast to the side for it. Um, and it will also have some beautiful artwork, but again, it will look woodcut, hence the woodcut series. And so we wanted to do four in the series, and let's see if we can get to that four in the series. It all, it's all depending on what we see from brokers, from distilleries. Yeah. It's got to be, you know, a Beaumore 30-year-old. <laughs> That's special, right? Yeah. So this is, it's got yeah. to be something big, something special. Is it from a shuttered distillery? Is it from, you know, who knows? So we'll just watch this space. More, and it has yeah. to be very good. Because we save all the bad whiskeys for, for the regular line? Is that what you... <laughs> no, I just think it's easy as a, as a whiskey fanatic to see the expensive bottlings. And, and, you know, 395 is without doubt a lot of money. It's not nearly as high as you can go on specialty bottles. But it is a lot of money. And I think there's, for some whiskey drinkers, there's a thought that these will never be opened. And so do you have to put the best whiskey into it? For example, when we released our Great Isle Swim bottle, mm. people had said to us, oh, it's a $500 bottle. Is the whiskey any good? It's like, uh, yeah, we're, we're not hiding bad whiskey behind <laughs> a cork that will never be opened. And, and uh. you just said it earlier in this podcast, you were at Drama's Club and they opened the bottle with you there. Yeah. Yep. Imagine if we were the type of you know terrible people who would hoodwink consumers and put bad whiskey into that Great Isla Swim bottle. Oh my gosh. You would have been in deep, deep shit standing in front of the people who spent 500 bucks on it as they opened it and tasted it. Oh, gosh. God, that would be awful. Right? We are not <laughs> those people. And no. so, so that's the only point I was trying to clarify is okay. when we okay. then come out with a second woodcut series... Mm-hmm. It's to be opened and consumed and enjoyed. It's not to hide behind a closed cork that has a pretty label and, and no, mm. nothing going on with the juice in the bottle. Exactly. We, we have to approve every bit of it. The juice inside, the liquid, uh, sorry, the juice inside, the artwork, etc. cetera. Uh, we were two guys standing behind everything we do. 100%. Yep. So that's a couple of bits of very quick news. Do you have any quick news you want to throw out there? I do. I just uh, I want to let people know that we have a whole bunch of whiskey sitting in Scotland that has been bottled, that is awaiting labels, and some of these whiskeys are going to be for Single Cast Nation online. For the online membership and some of this whiskey is for single cast nation uk eu uh, canada and then actually we have some whiskey sitting in the u.s that's going to be bottled too some uh, as jason calls them american bourbons which mm-hmm. um mm. uh, uh, americans oh. will know it's just called bourbon it's becoming one of my favorite categories. American I, bourbon? I am, I am spreading the gospel of American bourbon. 
and oftentimes to Americans and asking them, have you heard of this category, American <laughs> bourbon? And to, to their credit, uh-huh. they haven't. Wow. They, they've only talked about a competing category that they call bourbon. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, certainly. Wow. And then, and then the, the last little bit of news... And by the way, we will expand on on this as we get closer. We'll we'll let you know what's coming, mm. and we'll have it up on in our Facebook group and through email and blah blah blah, so on and so forth. Um, but we started letting people know that we've partnered with Hello from the Magic Tavern again to do a second bottling with them, and this time it is American whiskey. And we actually talked about it in a previous episode where I had a bunch of people come to Single Cast Nation HQ and actually select that whiskey with me. And, uh, and so that hopefully will be coming out before, before too long. Uh, but that's about it. I can't think of yeah. any other news that needs to be shared. Yeah, cr- crossing some T's and dotting some I's in the news segment. Mm-hmm. But uh, as is always the case, we continue to work diligently behind the scenes. We like the listeners of this podcast to know what we're keeping an eye on. Mm-hmm. And in due course, yep, we will give a lot more information on the latest stuff that's coming up. So I've got a question for you, really quickly. Oh boy. When you said uh, in due course, I, I need to, I need to, because it's your accent. So what, what is the sixth month of the year? June. What is Frank Herbert's most popular book? Dune. <laughs> Okay. All right. Just just making sure. Do, do I entertain you? Am I a clown to you? What <laughs> do I amuse you? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, June. You, you did it earlier. You talked about the Drummers Club having high Jews. I'm like, Jesus, a lot of Jews with marijuana. It's high Jew. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well played. Well played. But I kept my thoughts to myself. I did not derail you. I just, I just thought it and had a little chuckle to myself. Well done. Well, Jason, I think that it is high time. Unless you wanted to throw somebody else in here, I think it is high time that we thank David once more, and then hand the microphone back to him to hear his misconceptions. mm Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, a lovely way to, to end a lovely episode. That's lovely, Jason. <laughs> you, you seem overwhelmed right now. I, I am. I'm, you know, I've heard people being underwhelmed and overwhelmed. Is anyone ever just whelmed? That's a good question. That's a good question. Right, it's you, like... You've been on a roll in this podcast. You asked David a lot of good questions. He acknowledged that. And now you're asking this question. And I acknowledge that's also a good question. Like, what, has anyone ever said, wow, I'm just whelmed yeah. by this? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. You've really, you've got us thinking this day, Joshua. <laughs> you really have. In yeah. fact, oh. in fact, it's such a good question. I'm going to hang up the headphones, put away the microphone. I'm going to go quietly contemplate this over a cheeky wee whiskey. 
Oh, I like that. Suit, suit you, sir. I can see it now, sir. You in your new pinstripe suit. The picture of English elegance and authority, sir. As you take your old fellow out, sir. Oh, and give it to some dirty little bit of rough. Oh, under a bridge or behind a railway siding, sir. Oh, suit you, sir. Ooh. Okay, my friend. <laughs> Back over to David, and I will see you on the next episode. See you on the next episode. Cheers, listeners. Next time. Cheers, y'all. You and I actually touched on this the other day while we were walking around in Boston. We touched it or we touched on it? Hey, now. You, you definitely, you, you are getting the vibe of this podcast. <laughs> so we, we end each podcast with a segment that we call Misconceptions. Okay. Where, as a, for instance, you, you, you spent a good time running the visitor center. So you dealt with all sorts of people coming in, some of them knowledgeable in whiskey, some of them not knowledgeable in whiskey. Yeah. You're going around as the brand ambassador doing tastings and and trying to educate uh, distributors and spirits buyers and all this, all these sorts of people on Pandaren. Along the way, I'm sure you you've heard you've gotten questions where people have this misconception about whether it's whiskey in general mm-hmm. or whether it's Pandaren, where, where you'd say, why did they, why do they think that? And, and without, you know, just <laughs> making fun of them or anything like that. Yeah. But, you know, looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, here's a teachable moment yeah. where I can, I can help these people. It, what's, what's a misconception that you've heard that, that stuck with you? That's a great question. Um, That's the third time this You've said that. And yeah, no, you've, you've had some great questions. I'm, I'm not going to deny it. Um, <laughs> you know, people seem to think there's a lot of white port barrels being used <laughs> in the whiskey industry. <laughs> and no one is wow. going to get that joke. No one. There's, there's, there's 30 <laughs> to 40,000 people right now. <laughs> like, white port? Why is that even funny? Seriously, now. Um, I think the biggest one is, is water. That's probably what I, th- I would say. That, okay. That water makes a large difference to the flavor of whiskey. The whiskey in... in, in um, okay. Actually, the the whiskey being produced sort of at the distillery, um, not, not necessarily like not adding water to whiskey, if that mm. makes sense, like while you're drinking it, but when you buy a bottle of whiskey, that whiskey is substantially different to the other bottle on the shelf that you didn't pick up because of the the water and i'm talking like a large oh, large difference okay um and i think perhaps that preconception comes from um that there were distilleries that were next to each other almost mm. in in scotland or ireland perhaps and people thought that the reason that those two whiskies tasted different is because they were using different water sources wow um and i had seen um Diageo had done a, a study, scientific study, on how much of the flavor of the a whiskey that you buy, how much of a difference the actual water that was used in the production process sure. has made a difference to that. And they found 1% to 2% of the actual flavor. Wow, that, that's a really, really good point. And I, th- and I, think, wow. I, think, okay. the mis- I think the misconception <coughs> is that people think that you know, fifty percent or seventy percent of the flavor of that whiskey, because it's it's a large amount water. Well, it you is have a certain amount of ethanol. You have a certain amount of water in the whiskey. Um, people think there's a large, large difference in flavor to do with that. 
um, that's that's one of the ones that I see that okay. I see quite a lot. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to and put water, it. Okay. I should I should say that water is hugely important to whiskey. Mm. You need you need good quality water, and you need a lot of it. But I think people have this misconception that this whiskey tastes the the way it does because of the water. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. That's that's definitely how how I feel. That's very cool. Okay. Cool. Good. Well, I thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. This has been great. Thank you. Thank Good. you for driving me around. Although we're not driving very yeah, we're fast. Not driving. At the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So for <laughs> so for our listeners, apparently there was a, an accident on the highway. We were not involved. We're fine. Just be very clear. Hopefully, the people who got into the accident are fine. But we've been stuck uh, in in traffic for the past long time. <laughs> I don't know the how how to measure. Know, I don't know the numbers. Oh, you know the best way to measure that time is to use the forearm of the, the current forearm. of the current pharaoh. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say something different. Oh, the the pod, pod, podcaster fist. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I should repeat it, but it's been done. Uh, normally, we end our podcast with saying cheers, but. Ah, yeah. Let's. I was just thinking it'd be useful to teach some Welsh. Yeah, while I have the ear of yeah, yeah, yeah. Do many it, do people. Yeah. Um, so Wales, of course, has has its own language. Um, if you go to Wales, you see it on all of the the. Well, signs. the humpbacks speak <laughs> a certain language. The sperm whales, they're dirty. They're naughty, naughty whales, and uh, you know. Uh, but anyway, we <laughs> we digress. Me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so all the if you, <laughs> still laughing, if you go to Wales, all the road signs, everything they're in English and in Welsh. Wales is it's definitely a very uh, proud nation. You know, it has yeah. has its own language, um, and so of course they have their own version of cheers, mm-hmm. which again means to your health, like mm-hmm. I think it does in in Scotch Gaelic as well. Yeah, um, and and cheers would be yachida, which I'm sure I should preface with I'm butchering. Uh, likely. So if there are any uh, people who speak Welsh uh, listening, I apologize for my pronunciation. Uh, so I'm, yeah, I I'm, I'm do not speak Welsh. I can count to five. I can say a few words. Oh, um, count to five. Oh, God, now you've Come put on. me on the spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's in die tree pedwa pimp. And I, I've never learned six. So in the tree, there's a pedwa pimp? Yes. Wow. That's how you remember it. <laughs> I didn't know the pimping community was so large in Wales. <laughs> oh dear. Um, so yes, yeah, so it's it's yachida. Oh yachida, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's what we were, what, that's what yeah, we were yeah, meant yeah, to be talking yachida. about. Yachida. Yeah. Um, so to everyone, to everyone out there, if you're listening, yachida. Cheers, um, and enjoy your day. Enjoy some whiskey. Go enjoy yeah. some whiskey now. Yachida. <laughs> Two, one, two. Joshua's a. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh Nelly. Okay. Wait, was that recording? <laughs> it, it was. Yeah, that's the. Uh, you can edit that out. That's that's what we call an Easter egg. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope that really doesn't make it in.